Welcome to another episode of the Doctors and Dollars podcast, where we discuss health insights and wealth secrets. I'm your host, Nate Crannell, joined today by Amanda Hill. Amanda is a seasoned attorney and the visionary behind Guard My Practice. Based in Austin, Texas, Amanda is the trusted advisor for physicians navigating legal intricacies from contract disputes to compliance challenges. As the founder of Hill Health Law, she offers outsourced general counsel services, earning the trust of healthcare providers statewide. Passionate about supporting doctors, Amanda pioneers video content through Guard My Practice, empowering physicians with insights into the business side of medicine. Her expertise in fraud, compliance, and contracting, coupled with a genuine commitment to preventing burnout, positions her as the go-to doctor's lawyer. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda. What's going well today? Thank you. Man, this is fun being here. I love talking to your audience, so call me anytime. (laughs) Anytime. What's going well today? Today, what's going well is my heater went out. And so my my office is freezing, but I have two space heaters and I shut the door and now it's really warm and cozy. And so when I sit and work all day, like I'm not tempted to go outside. It's too cold. So here we are working on contracts for doctors. How fun. Yeah. The, uh, well, fun for you. That, that doesn't sound fun for me. Contracts, not my go-to source of fun. Uh, we all have our things, Nate. We all have true. our things. <laughs> My word for you, though, now that I know that, is that, that you're all bundled up and cozy and warm and you're reading through contracts. I don't want you to get sleepy and all of a sudden you're, you're passed out in your office. Well, I have a lot of things to shift between. I have clients that call me with crises. You know, that always like, perks me up. Oh, it's yeah. like caffeine. I've already had a couple cups of coffee. I am the boss. Look at that. So yeah, it's fun. I mean, I will say my job is never dull. It really isn't just reading contracts all day. I get calls all day in between patients. I always like to joke around about every time there's (laughs) a lull in a doctor's day, they go, I'm going to call Amanda. There's a situation that I need help with. So I really enjoy being sort of the, the lawyer in their pocket that they can call just to even go through a scenario and say, how do I address this? What do I do? I mean, there aren't a lot of resources for physicians where they feel safe. Doctors don't like to show weakness and they don't know who to ask. And so I become the person that they just feel is a confidant. And yeah, they have to pay for my time, but they find it, a lot of them find it worth it. Absolutely. What do you think is the most common call you get? Oh gosh. I would say it's probably one of three things. Number one, there's an investment or a business deal that I either don't understand or I need help negotiating. Number two is probably there's an employee or a partner or a person that I am having conflict with at this very moment. And I need you to help me walk that through, (laughs) whether it's like (laughs) a lot of different conflicts in healthcare. And the third is probably, you know, confusion over next steps. A A lot of times doctor is in a transition and they don't know how to navigate that transition. So they come to me and say, how do I get out of this job? How do I get into this new one? How do I make this big change in my life? And it gives me a lot of joy to be able to be the person in that transition. So sort of those are the things that come up on a daily basis. Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of the the Swiss army knife then uh, for a lot of physicians, (laughs) right? I used to say I'm the master of... Yeah, it's a master of this much, but it's like a mile long. You know, you know this much about a lot of things. But the good thing is, you know, when I went out on my own, my own law firm, eight and a half years ago, it feels like yesterday. But the first thought was, what if I don't know? 
you know, what if I don't know the answer? What if they see me as the expert and I simply don't know? And I have learned a special skill and it's called saying, I don't know, but I will look into it and get back to you. You know, we don't know everything. And just owning that and saying, oh, that's a new one. You know, you'd think after 23 years of practicing, I would have heard that question before, but I never have. So I'm going to go look it up. And so I think that's really liberating is just to say, I don't know everything, but I can figure it out. For sure. It's a beautiful response. And I think people can appreciate one. It kind of empowers them to be like, Ooh, yeah, I I asked her a a tough question. She doesn't know it. (laughs) Yeah, it feels good. But then also just, it builds trust for you to say, okay, she doesn't know, but she's, I I trust that she's going to get that answer back to me. Right. There's a lot of power then in your hands, even though you, you might feel powerless for a split second to be like, uh, I've never been asked that. I don't know that answer, but knowing that you can come back and, and give them a good answer. What a trust builder. That's awesome. Well, and I think that I know where to look. I mean, that's the what you're paying for, right? The experience mm-hmm. of like, I know what words to use to put in Google. I know where to look. I know where the statutes live. You know, so, and part of it is just when you've done this for so long, you sort of have instincts and mm-hmm. the hair on the back of your head stands up on some situations. And you're like, something's not right. I feel like I need to dig into this. And that has never proved me wrong. You have to trust your instincts when you're a professional, even with doctors, right? They say, this seems like a routine case. Something is missing. That's when you find genius is when you find those doctors that dig deep, you know, and maybe get a diagnosis that nobody else has seen. I guess that's, you know, sort of the gold standard. I'm not, I don't always get there, but I try to dig in and make sure that I uncover everything. For sure. And where are you going for a lot of that information? Because like doctors will go back to uh, PubMed and, and look at, you know, all of these different resources, written literature from past cases and things like that. A lot of times doctors, though, I know consult other doctors, you know, that are maybe in their field right. 10 years ahead of them to ask those questions. Where are you typically going to, to find a lot of information if you do get that, that stumper question? You know, I'll be fully transparent. I have a law partner. We call each other three or four times a day. Sometimes I have other lawyers that I can call and say, have you faced this? I've never seen this. There's blogs that I read. I will tell you the government websites are not as helpful. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. They just aren't, yep. you know, you're not going to go to the CMS website and get all your questions answered. You know? So, so, but a lot of times other law firms or different groups will put forth articles that are helpful and I just go scour, you know, I, I'm an incessant researcher at heart. So I love digging in and trying to find the answer. And the thing about it is if I spend two hours researching something and the answer is not to be found, then I feel pretty confident saying, you know, this is a great issue that there's not a lot out there about. Because if I can't Mm -hmm. find it, it's really not apparent. And so let's think of what best practices are. Let's think about what I would recommend, you know, without the and the absence of guidance. And that's, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of what we do is just making it up as we go. We think, how do you remediate risk? That is what I do for a living. Here's the risk, right? Is this really risky? I mean, there's very few times in my career I've said, do not do this. Right. Because my job is not to be the no person, right? To call your lawyer and they say no to every deal, no to every job. No, you know, why would why, I wouldn't be in business? My job is to remediate risk. So I can say, this is extremely risky. I would advise you not doing this, or let's edit it to take some of the risk out. Let's change it and make it better for you. Or this is a no brainer, you know, green light. And so it's all about risk tolerance and your job as well as my job, right? So I try to be that risk you know, sort of gauge for clients to where if they come to me and I say, if I'm telling you this is risky, trust me, they usually do. Yeah. Well, and then again, they're trusting you as that resource to give them direction. I think they still want to be the decision maker, right? So if you can say, Absolutely. Like, hey, I think this is really risky, 
you know, if I were you, I wouldn't do it type of thing. But obviously, you know, you're a physician, put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants and, and make the decision on your own. Right. They're still, you're the professional, but they are, they're really leaning on you for that advice. But well, uh, this is funny. So a long time ago, I was the general counsel of a medical group. And I remember telling my boss at the time, we can't do this. You know, I was a new lawyer. I was super green and naive and, you know, sort of like black and white, like the law says no. And I remember saying, we can't do this particular thing. The law says no. And he said, "Uh uh-huh. What's the penalty if we violate that law? And I was like, huh? Like, I didn't expect that question, you know? And I was like, uh, well, it's $25,000. And he was like, cool. So it's going to take 80 grand to fix that problem. So we're just going to go ahead and risk violating the law. It's cheaper. And I was like, I, 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 like, you know, for me, a green, you know, fairness, lawyer, everything else to be black and white. I quickly learned that in business, it's about risk tolerance, right? So he would much rather violate the law and pay $25,000 fine than pay 80 grand to fix it. And that was a really big learning curve for me that I am supposed to advise and the client gets to make the call. Yep. You're the counsel. You're not the principal. Right? That's right. So That's right. Yep. <laughs> but good that you learned that early in your career because you came out of your law degree, Texas Tech. You started your career at the VA, the Department of Veterans I did. Affairs. I did. Tell me about that experience. That I mean, to come right out and, and jump into Damn. The, the massive thing that is the VA. You know, <laughs> tell me about well, that Well, this is a funny story. Also, this should like, tell you, this should tell you about my personality. Okay. So my husband at the time was going to go to law school in Waco, Texas. Now, this was pre-Joanna Gaines and Chip Gaines, right? This was Waco, Texas was a dumpy little town in the middle of nowhere that was between Austin and Dallas. So we had to move to this town for him to go to law school. And I thought, where am I going to get a job in Waco, Texas, that is any way well-respected? And at that time, I wanted to be a federal judge. I had high dreams and ambitions, right? I had clerked for the Texas Supreme Court. I wanted to be a judge. I wanted to be a U.S. attorney. I wanted to prosecute crime. I wanted to put people behind bars, like all the things. And so I couldn't find anything that seemed prestigious. And then I saw this opening for a job at the VA for a distinguished counsel or some ridiculousness that I did not qualify for, right? So what did I do? Apply for it. Do, do I have natural bravado? Apparently. So I applied for this job that you were supposed to have like 10 years experience for. And they sort of laughed at me, right? Like, oh, bless your heart. You're just out of law school. You're not qualified for this. And I was like, <laughs> I bet I can do it. Give me a chance. And so I think based on pity alone, they asked me to come in to interview, even though that was not something I would have ever been awarded. But they hired me based on that interview. And I think my sheer naive bravado. And then they gave me an entry level job, which wasn't the same job that was posted, but I loved it. I mean, I felt really fancy. You know, I worked for the federal government. I got to represent VA hospitals. I'd never done that, but I didn't really even know I was going to do health law, but it was sort of the fanciest job I could find at the time. And it really did give me training wheels and realized that, you know, back in those days, there was no electronic medical record. It was all on paper. I had to interpret doctors hand scratch, but I realized the power in working with doctors, I think from that very first job, which was they are relying on me to analyze their care and defend them against someone who's coming after them. And that felt very powerful and it felt very special. And I didn't forget it. Now, I didn't want to work for the government forever. I didn't want to like lug in my lunchbox, you know, and sit in my chair. <laughs> I felt it was get, getting kind of boring after a number of years. But I knew that that field was something that I was passionate about. And that really triggered the love of health law. Yeah, so it sounds like that was 
that was really the catalyst for, for the passion that you have. Right. And so you work with two more healthcare systems after the VA, presumably you were hired to work, you know, with their leadership team and, and be the counsel in that space. But is that where that passion was born to be the voice and the resource in, for independent doctors, not necessarily for the whole healthcare system, but for the doctors within that system? Yes. In fact, one of them was such, they were all, I've always had great experiences with my jobs. I don't know. It's just, I've been lucky. I've gotten really great leadership teams, but this particular job, they hired me to not only but to be their director of patient relations. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was crazy because all the angry people came to me. All the weird situations came to me. I was the one that went and counseled the doctors when they had low patient satisfaction scores. I walked with them through their day, trying to figure out why they're pissing people off. I would have never gotten those experiences right in a law firm, but because I worked in this group and they put a lot of trust in me and I had a public relations background, right. And I sort of knew I was good with people. They trusted me to do all these crazy things that I just learned on the job. And I'll never forget, you know, following a doctor around with a clipboard saying, you need to sit down with the patients or you're pissing them off because you come across as an elitist snob, or you're not, you're not showing empathy. And it was just this amazing training ground that they paid me to do, which is great. So I gave them legal advice and I sat in their meetings and became sort of a part of the operations team. But I also got to see from the patient's perspective why things weren't going well. And then every year I would give this big training for the doctors and it was over the top because I'm sort of like Martha Stewart and everything has to have a theme and decor. So one year it'd be like the golden years and it was all about geriatric medicine. Then in one year I'd call it the Physician's Academy and we'd go through all these fun things. So it was really fun and creative to be able to train these doctors. And so two things I learned. One is you really have to understand what their day is like. You can't come in as a lawyer and be like, the law says blah, 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 and you have to follow it. And they're going, do you know what our day is like? Have you been there? Do you know every 15 minutes we're running, you know, every 10 minutes, actually, we're seeing a new patient. Then we have in between patients, we have to do all these administrative tasks that we're not paid for. And we need to see 25 patients a day. And just to hit our targets, you know, we never even pee. Like, do you know? And now I can say, yeah, I, I kind of do. Like, I've been there and I sympathize with you. And my whole attitude as a lawyer changed after working alongside those doctors so many years. Yeah. Well, and, and I was thinking about this earlier when I made the Swiss Army knife comment when you had said, you know, I'm not only am I looking at contracts, but I'm also, you know, they'll call me to say, hey, I have, I have a dispute in my workplace with someone you know, it sounded very psychological. And I'm like, where, where is she getting hired as a lawyer <laughs> from a psychological standpoint? But it sounds like that was well before Hill Law was even in place. Well before. I mean, they call us attorneys and counselors at law, right? So, I mean, sometimes lawyers can just be really good advisors, right? And that we know how to protect you in the long run. And, you know, sometimes clients get frustrated when they call me about like an employee. And they're like, we want to fire this person today. And I'm like, wait. Let's document it. Let's build it slowly. Let's give them the road to walk down and let's make a case to where I know I can defend you. And that requires a little patience, but that advice is what they need to hear. Right. And so they're like, okay, I'll listen to Amanda. One of my clients the other day said, we know not to cross Amanda's advice. So tell us what to do. You know, I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a dictator. You know, you certainly do what you want, but it is helpful to have someone give you a plan and a strategy because Doctors are really great with what they're trained in, right? They know how to diagnose cancer. They know how to look at a kid and see if there's you know, need for ear tubes. They don't know how to deal with 
complex business disputes, employment issues, right? They were never trained at that. And so not just the contract and the sort of the business documents that I review, they just want someone to call me like, what do we do? You know, mm. what do I do with this patient that fired up? I had a doctor just yesterday that was crying because a doc, you know, a patient filed a board complaint and she's like, what is going to happen with my license? How did this happen? Why were they able to just go online and fire off this complaint? This is my licensure. This is my livelihood. And who's going to listen to that? You know, me. So you have to have someone who's like, I get it. And it's super easy for them to do it. And it doesn't mean that you're in the wrong. And we're going to be with you and next to you this whole journey. So you don't have to worry. The Physicians Financial Summit is coming to Chicago in 2024. Now, the Physicians Financial Summit is probably exactly the opposite of what you think it is. I'm sure you've gotten a free dinner and went to an event where a financial advisor shared a few things and tips and tricks. That's not what this is. You're not going to get a free dinner, unfortunately, and we are not financial advisors. This is going to be an action-packed two days where we break down the exact playbook that I use that allowed me to retire at the age of 33 and is going to guarantee that you are prepared and ready for a prosperous retirement. Now, there's way too much info that I can cover in this video, but I will promise you two things. One, this is going to change your life forever. And two, we are going to make this much simpler than you realize was possible. Just like you break down important and complicated medical stuff for us as patients, we're going to do the same for you. So if talking about money would make you want to pull your hair out, this is not the event for you. But if you want to see behind the scenes of how the wealthy prepare their financial futures and what you can do to be better prepared financially, then we will see you there in March 2024, Chicago. Yeah, it's that it's that piece of law that I don't know if they teach that in law school. I feel like I mean I've led a lot I've met a lot of lawyers that are very dry, very boring, straight to the point, right. cut cut to it. So for you to have your personality and, and be in that same field of work, that's not something that can be taught, right? And so I think that's very unique about you. But to be able to sit down and have these conversations with a physician who's crying across from you, they don't teach that in law school. I gotta imagine. They don't. Yeah, there's no empathy class in law school about dealing with your clients. But but what I have learned sort of outside of the walls, you know, the esteemed prestigious school arrangement is just life, right? Life is hard. And when you go through a divorce and you go through cancer, you go through a lot of the stuff that I've gone through, you know, I can empathize with the doctors that are in that situation. When they call me and they're like, you don't know what it's like. I'm like, no, I, I kind of do. And I am... I'm so sorry that you're a single mother of two kids and that you're thrown into practicing and that you're the, you know, figurehead of the family and you have, everybody relies on you for your salary. Like that stuff's not lost on me when I'm negotiating their contract, right? Their personal life is not disappeared when I think about their investments. Like when I say to them, if you're going to spend 250,000 of your hard earned money, you need to be able to get out of this deal with at least the same or more, right? You don't want to walk away with the buyout clause of 10 bucks because I know how hard you work for your money. And I know how important this, this is to you to have flexibility and freedom. And so it's all encompassing. You can't just be one or the other. You can't just be like, I'm a lawyer and I'll review your stuff, or I'm a therapist and I care about your health and overall well-being. It's like, you have to be all encompassing or else you're no good to anyone. So one of the things that's very, I am very passionate about is to try to see the client as like, okay, let's step away from the negotiation. Tell me about you. What are your goals? What are you looking for? Where are you trying to get in your life? And let's try to make sure that whatever legal deals that we work on match that vision. 
Yeah, it's interesting insight. I would have never thought of that just because when I think of like contract law, we were joking about it earlier, like most people dread looking through a long contract. They understand the importance of the document. They know it's going to be a life changer if they're setting up a new business or if it's a big investment, you know, a quarter million dollar investment that they're making. They want to, they know that the contract is important and they know that they're going to sign it, but few really enjoy reading it. You do enjoy that type of stuff. Like, so my question was going to be what attracts you to contract review? not just from a, a legalese standpoint, reading the words, but now I kind of have a better understanding of like, you're also looking at the whole backstory of the person who is putting ink to paper there and knowing, is this a good position for them? That's really, really <clears throat> cool. Yeah. I don't see contract. I don't sit down and go, Oh, how fun. I'm going to get to read a contract. Like I wonder what the termination provision says. Woo. What I do is I look at a document and I say, does this document protect my client? Does this document give my client freedom to get out? If they change their mind, does this document have, you know, side, you know, guardrails around it so that my client can feel safe? That is how I see contracts, right? They are just a list of rules that each side agrees to. You pay me money. I give you duties. You know, you give me a part of your company. I pay you. It, you know, those things go back and forth and that's the dry part. But what I look at is, you know, is there a back door? Nate, how are you going to get out of this thing? Right. I need to protect you as your lawyer and make sure that your goals are still aligned with this document, that it has a way that is safely able for you to walk away from it and that you're not making a bad investment. So I think of it more than just, you know, the four walls. I think of it in a bigger context of is, you know, is this a deal you would, I, I talked to a client a while back and I said, is your goal to make money? There's other ways to make money. You can make money in this deal, but the risk is extremely high. So if you take this deal that has risk is extremely high, what kind of insurance are you going to use to protect yourself? You know, how are you going to get out if something goes terribly wrong? So there's a lot of parts to negotiation. And in fact, one thing I was just put posting about today was we're negotiating wrong. We have the whole thing flipped backwards, right? Lawyers, if you go to a lawyer and say, here's my contract, negotiate it. The, then the lawyer edits it, even if it's technically sound, right? The edits are strong. The edits are good. Everything is, and then you return the edits and then they take it to the per, the person that's, you know, the contract is presented to them. And the person says, oh yeah, we're not going to change it. Then what was the point of all that? You know, you're just wasting money on a lawyer to give you edits that aren't even going to work. And then there's a fight. Nobody really understands the purpose of the edits, but they're like, I don't know. My lawyer said I had to. And the other side, like, well, our lawyer says no. And then it, like people are losing the purpose. And so one of the things that I talk to doctors about, like before we get to contract edits, it's just what makes you special? Why are you the right person for this job? Why are you better than the five doctors sitting next to you interviewing for this job? Right? Let's just get that out of the open first. What is your leverage? Okay. Because then once you establish the leverage and once I get a full sense of who this person is and I can pitch that to the other side, we haven't even gotten to the contract, right? I'm just like, man, you're lucky. You've got this amazing surgeon that is not a jerk, that gets along with people, that is rooted in the community, that has an extremely high patient base they're bringing with you. Like, what a jewel this surgeon is. Wow, what a find. Also, there's just a few contract edits that we want. That's very different approach, right? Than saying like, I have contract edits, please review them. And they go, no. And I go, oh, okay, well, sorry, client. So you had to build the story, you know, I'm a storyteller, as you know, Nate, I love telling yeah. stories, but you have to also tell the story of your client and why this person, you do it in court, 
you do it in contracts. You're never away from stories. And so that's really crucial when you're negotiating. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the word leverage and, and, and the definition of it. And I think what you just described is leverage for your client in the scenario that you just gave to say, hey, what a, what a fantastic surgeon that you have in front of you. Kudos to you guys for picking him or her. I think this is great. We do have a couple contract edits, though, that we want to make. Saying it in that way and, and building that story up then allows them to think, okay, it's just, it sounds like a couple contract edits. Like we really want this person. We'll do what we can to, to, to make this contract move forward. Absolutely. And every time I hear that story, every time they, they don't make contract edits, I'm like, well, then you don't have enough leverage. Everyone makes contract edits. You can get anybody to change anything if they want you bad enough. So don't miss that first part. But yes, I, I find leverage fascinating because everyone's got leverage and I have so many stories of immovable entities that are these massive groups that say we cannot make a change until we crack in and show how much leverage a client has. And then magically things change. But here's the deal, Nate, you pick your battles. Like the most naive thing you can do as a lawyer, or as a business person is to bleed. We call it all over a contract. Make, you know, mm. I don't like this word. I need that to be reasonable. I want to see those policies. I don't like the way you structure this, everything, you know, nit, 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 nit. That's not going to get you anywhere. You need to focus on the big stuff. How do you get out? How do I get my money? Right? What flexibility? What is required of me? Those things, right? What's going to hit me on the way out? That's a lot of, a lot of times I talk to doctors about that. Like envision you leaving this investment, this real estate investment, this job. What does it mean when you leave? You have to put a notice. Do you have to pay back some money? What do you get paid? So those things are big picture items. So if, if you're going to edit a contract, I'm like, you got like three shots. You want three major changes. You know, may, there might be more. There's always exceptions. But my general rule is less is more. Because if you go back and say, this contract is great. My client's amazing. They just want to narrow the non-compete. You're going to get a lot further than I have 25 edits to this contract. Absolutely. I'm going to use the house analogy that you gave earlier. I think, and this kind of opens my eyes to some of the contract negotiations that we have with Grand Vision. But it's more... What are the four walls? What's the ceiling? Like, what, what? how high can we go in this thing? Where's the door? How can we get out of this thing? I think those are the most important versus what color are the curtains, right? Exactly, Nate. Specific. You get it. You get it. Yeah. Exactly. Leave so the small sense. details. You can remodel later, you know. But right now, major, major things. Does it have a roof over my head? Does it have a door to get out of? And then make sure that the basics are there. And I mean, this has been my style, but I will say that it has been successful. I stand behind it because it works. And after doing this for so many years, I floundered around early in my career thinking that I should point out every tiny detail. Now, that doesn't mean that between me and my client, I can point out every small minutia that I think should be changed. But that doesn't mean that I advise them to carry all those things forward. I love to tell my clients all the things because then they're like, wow. You caught 5 million things in this contract that are wrong. But I'm like, yes, but I wouldn't fight them all. You know, I would only fight these two things. And I just think that shows that, yes, I have the ability to come up with all these arguments just the same as I do in a hearing, right? You go in with your strong arguments. You don't waste time, you know, watering it down with the small stuff. And I think that applies in all negotiations. But I mean, yeah, obviously I like this stuff, Nate, and I really like helping doctors, and I want them to come back to me two years later and be like, thank goodness you were there because my partners got screwed, but I had talked to you and I knew better. 
And that's what gives me joy, right? Is when they see them years later at a conference and I'm giving a big speech and they come up and give me a hug. They feel like I'm their friend, like I care about them. We need more of that, I think, that connection. It's not like I hired a lawyer to do my thing and set up my company and they were just a nameless face and then they went away because lawyers are just replaceable. You've got to have someone you feel like is your advocate and is like on your team, you know, in your life. And so whether it's your accountant or your lawyer or your business advisor, your personal coach or whatever, everybody's got to have a team. You just can't do it. Doctors are overwhelmed and they just can't do it alone. 100%. I mean, even within Hill Health Law, so like we've been talking about contract negotiations, but you also handle things like fraud, abuse reviews. Yeah. I, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Like, why do you feel like physicians are vulnerable in these areas? That is such a great question. Well, the common scenario you think of fraud is like doctors that bill when they're not, when they're on vacation, they're doing these horrible, nefarious things. It's not the case that vendors come in with a trench coat and open it up and be like, bada, bada, boom, do you want to mind my fake scam deal? It's not obvious, okay, to the doctors. They are presented with well-oiled, very fancy presentations, and a lot of other doctors have already signed up. Okay, so you've got peer pressure that everybody else is doing it and they're smart. So why don't I do it? The presentation, the materials, the documents all look very legal and lawyerly. And sometimes there's even like a law opinion that they come that they submit with this big business package. Right. We've already gotten our lawyer to look at it. It's already been vetted. This is a smooth, easy deal. It's going to net you hundreds of thousand dollars without you doing anything. Why would they question it? You know, it all these things stack up in their mind, right? It's been reviewed by a lawyer, even though it's not your lawyer. It it looks fancy and legal. My friends have done it. You know, I think it sounds great. And then you take your hundreds of thousands of dollars that you vomit up from your savings account that you've preciously earned and you invest in this thing only to learn a year later, it goes bankrupt. Everybody's pissed. There's no way out and you can't get your money back. And so the reason they fall into it is because you're not trained at that. How many times has a doctor looked at an investment packet? Zero times, you know? How many times have they been advised on anti-kickback in a way that makes sense to them? I don't mean sitting through a long, boring training from a lawyer. Structionist of CFR says, you know, no. Who sat down and said, the top three things that are going to get you in major trouble are X. Watch out for those things. You know, give me a call and I'll tell you, do not sign up for this. This one's fine. You know, they just don't have that skill, nor do we expect them to, right? Just like I, you know, if I looked at a pathology report, I don't know if 13 is going to kill me or 13 on a certain test is amazing. How do I know, you know, unless I'm trained at it. So I think it's really important that doctors relax and go, I don't have to know all this. I just need to find people that can help me. It's absolutely right. But I think that they're, they need the the fourth grader version of it and not to downplay the intelligence of, of physicians. But I think one thing that we always find within Grand Vision and something we're going to be doing in our uh, the Physicians Financial Summit that we're putting on in March in Chicago is we understand that doctors take complex diagnosis and they understand it, but then they have to walk into that room with the patient and explain it in a simple way that they understand with finance, exactly. with law, with all those different things that they that they don't understand experts like you and I have to be able to sit down and say, we know all the complexities of it. We know the color of the curtains, but here's the very simple way to, to understand it and give them the counsel and give them the feedback to say, here's, here's why this does make sense or why it doesn't make sense. Absolutely. Like two doctors, 
Two doctors the, last week said, we want to form a lab together. It saves money. It's efficient. We're both going to refer to it. Why would anyone care that we both form a lab? Like, this seems to be a no-brainer. We're tired of using third-party labs. I'm like, well, you know, I had to explain. <laughs> There's a stark exception. You know, you have to have an in-house lab. means you have to have it in this location or exclusively to you. This is the way the rule works. Sucks. I tell doctors all the time, it isn't fair. It isn't fair that you can be an entrepreneur in tech and do all kinds of things, but you can't do that in healthcare. I didn't make those laws. I'm sorry that some of them exist, but it's my job to explain them to you and create very clear boundaries. This is actually not something you can do, and this is something you can. But let's figure out something in the, in the middle ground, right? How can we structure it to where it decreases your risk and it falls within a safe harbor and then you're okay? Right. But you really do have to explain it in a way that's very obvious, you know, that the rule says this and this is what you can do. And I don't find it dumbing it down. I just think it's something that's not in their language. It's like another person saying, if you want to ask for the bathroom in France, <laughs> use these words. I'm like, got it. <laughs> I'm not an idiot, but I don't know French. I wish I did because I love visiting Paris. But anyway, that's that's kind of how it works. And I do a lot of translating, like you said. When you're a physician, you have to translate why this plaque therapy works on this cancer. You really have to use words that patients will really comprehend. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's important then for physicians to learn at least some of the basics, right? I think of it in finance. You think of it in law. Like learn some of the basics just so they have a, a foundational knowledge of some of these things so that they can formulate some opinions and formulate some thoughts on a specific topic, whether it's in law, it's contract, it's about investing in real estate, whatever it may be, as long as they have some of that foundational knowledge to understand, here's what's going on. I don't understand the complexity Absolutely. Of it, but at least I understand where this could go. Do you think that's important or is it still just, hey, lean on your lawyer, lean on your, you know, your real no, estate? No, I'm investment. so glad you brought this up because it actually makes me really angry when we are creating codependent doctors, right? My goal in life is not to say, well, I'm smarter than you and I know how to explain it better. So call me, you know, otherwise you're just creating a codependent relationship where they can't sign a document without calling their lawyer. Absolutely not. Yes, there should be some rudimentary education that we can express to doctors to issue spot better. If you can just learn that that hair that stands up in the back of your head means something, I'm going to issue spot this. Amanda taught me enough to know that this is something I need to actually send to legal review. This is something I need my accountant to look at. You know, you have to know enough to know what's dangerous. So I 100% believe that there's a lot, and doctors are very teachable. They really are. I, you know, a lot of my colleagues, other lawyers, like, how do you work with doctors all day? They're impossible. I'm like, I don't find that to be the case. I think they're very, of course, that's my, you know, those are my people. But I find doctors to be very, you know, malleable and they can absorb information quickly and they're smart and they pick up on it. So when I give a course on negotiation, or if I give a course on dealing with people, it doesn't mean you're never going to call your lawyer, but you are 80% there and you can do a lot of it on your own. And then, you know, when you call your lawyer and you spend five, $600 an hour that you're spending it wisely, you know, you're going to them with the big stuff, not the little bitty stuff that you can easily learn on your own. So I want to empower as much as I can to doctors. You know, a lot of people really were against this company when I formed it, Guard My Practice. They said, why are you doing this? You're hurting your own law firm. Why are you giving all this information away? <laughs> it's like, well, is it our job to hoard it? You know, is it our job to protect it against a firewall and you only access it unless you pay us the $500 an hour? Or is there another way, right? 
my law firm is busy, Nate. It's never going to slow down because I'm giving away a lot of free information. You know, it just means that you're establishing yourself as an expert. They'll still hire my firm. I'm not worried about that. But what I am worried about is doctors leaving in droves from the practice yep. of medicine. What I am worried about is them giving up because it's so complex and so overwhelming. And they feel like every time they turn around, someone's taking money from them. That's what I worry about. So if we don't do something, we won't have any doctors left. I'm very passionate about helping doctors for that reason. It's not just about earning an hourly wage. It's about how can I help you understand the importance of certain things over others? Because sometimes, you know, doctors might prioritize everything on the same level. And I'm like, this is low risk. This is high risk, right? Let's not worry about your one little HIPAA breach as much as let's worry about the anti-kickback problem that you have. This can send you to jail. This will result in an audit and, a, and not even hardly a fine, you know? So I, I just think that's a gift I can give is to sort of say, let's talk about what's really bad that you really need to focus on. And then let's just generally talk about the other stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think you're hindering your practice at all. I think if anything, you're improving it. So I was, I was asked to be a contributor to some investment articles that were on LinkedIn. They reached out to me and said, Hey, it looks like you, you've got some, some knowledge here. Would you care to share it? And so I gave some feedback. My biggest feedback was though, there's kind of three stages to it, right? There's awareness, then there's understanding, then there's action. Right. So I think if, if you're providing the awareness and, and even some of the understanding within guard, my practice, when it comes to the action step, who are they going to go to, to actually take the action? They're not going to do it themselves. Right. They're doctors. Right. So it's like, okay, <laughs> I, I have this situation. I I'm aware of it. I have some understanding behind it. Now I need to take action to solve it. I'm going to Amanda. Like, I, I feel like whoever said that to you, that you were hurting your practice, I would think the exact opposite. And even when you said it, I was like, mm, that doesn't makes sense. She's the actions. She's given the awareness and then she's also the action step. So. Well, there, there, you know, it's funny because a lot of people just don't jump in the ring. All right. I mean, not I'm tooting my own horn here, but you know, you go into something that you've never done before, like start up a product-based business, like guard my practice. It's very different from a law firm. I, I'm not an expert on day one, right? I'm going to go into it and make mistakes and learn lessons and repackage and figure out what the doctors need. I'm constantly listening what is it that you need and how can I present that to you? But nobody else is doing it. So it's like, you can criticize how I do it or you can just watch me learn and grow because I'm going to get there. And so that's been the fun part about it is just the creativity and the entrepreneurial side, right? It's like, this is, you know, this is exciting and I don't do it all right all the time. I'm a very, I'm very big on looking at mistakes as opportunities. So if I make a mistake is whatever that means, I'm like, all right, that didn't work. How do I pivot? How do I change that? How can I tweak that? It's not a fail. I mean, failure is not doing a thing. Failure is sitting at home with your all your mind stuck in a box that's gonna, you're going to die and it's going to rot in the ground. That's failure, right? Winning, I think, is getting all this stuff out into the earth. You're sharing your knowledge. You're making people's lives better. You're giving people hope. Don't give up on medicine. You know, there is a way through. You know, don't feel that you don't have a support person. We've got you. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And it's been really a fun adventure through Guard My Practice. Like I started out as a membership model and I was like, oh, okay, that didn't work. I'm going to try courses. And now, you know, now we're building this new course that has been really successful. It's called 90 Day Notice. And it's about doctors transitioning from one job to the next. Because we learned the hard way. I teach that with a surgeon who's a physician coach. 
we learned the hard way that it's not just about the contract negotiation, Nate. There's a lot that goes into like, I don't know when to put in my notice. What are they going to do to me? Uh, I feel like a failure. My jerk, my boss was a jerk. They fired me. Now I feel like a complete failure. And now I have these nine months and I'm feeling depressed and sunk and I don't know how to move on. And then I have this other contract. And it's just a bunch of stuff that's super heavy. And this is where we walk them through letting the past go, learning what their current contract means. What is the job that you want? Let's get you away from that toxicity of the past. Like, what is it that you're looking for? How do we negotiate for you? How do we build your leverage? And how do we get you something that puts you in a much better place? And then you look back at this transition, not as the worst time of my life, but like, that was amazing. I got out of that, that I didn't like. And now I'm in this that I love. Isn't that the goal, right? Of any transition is to like grow and change and get better. So I know I become like a total hippie yogi about it, but it's super true that, there's a lot I can provide to you as a doctor, as far as my legal knowledge, but it's not just about that. And so we try to work through those transitions with doctors. And it's been really, it's been really great for me. I have enjoyed it so much more than I even expected because at the end of a course, when a doctor literally looks brighter and happier than they did three months ago, and they're like, I I am the prize. Like I'm excited to, you know, that I am ready. Like I earned this and you're like, yeah, we did it. That's exciting. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And I truly hope that there's a doctor that's listening to this that is having those same thoughts that you just described that man, I, my, I don't like my boss or the healthcare system I'm in is not great. The contract that I signed a couple of years ago, it doesn't fit what I want now. How do I get out of it? How do I move on? How, when do I give that notice? When do I, to move along and, and how do I not get fired? Essentially, there's going to be doctors that hear this that are in that situation that are hopefully going to reach out and, and seek your guidance. Well, you know this more than anyone, Nate, like in your field, there's a lot of people who are trying to get money out of doctors. It's mm -hmm. a very attractive audience for scammers and unscrupulous business people and investment bankers and all kinds of people, even in real estate, that just want their money. You guys are not trying to just get their money. You have such a great transparent business model, which I'm really impressed with. But I will say that, you know, it's, you become jaded and cynical when you're in, when you're a physician and you've been burned and you think everyone's out to get you, right? I, the government is out to get us. These vendors and investors are just trying to suck money out of our pocket. I don't know who to trust, you know, and that's pretty toxic when that settles in, right? Everybody hates us. We are, you know, we can't trust anybody. Their guard, their guard goes up. So there's got to have to be some safe place. They have to trust someone. You know, where is the circle that they feel like this is truly safe? <laughs> and I don't mean so be so woo-woo about it, but everybody needs to feel safe, you know, in their, in their little walls. And so I, I want them to know that not everyone out there is against them. You know, there are some people that are really in their corner and they're trying to give them legitimate opportunities, good investments, good counsel, and they just need to open their heart to understand that those people are still there. There's good people in the world as, you know, as Mr. Rogers said, right? Look for the helpers. They're all there. They're out there. It's a good world. You know, I just think that we've gotten a lot of toxicity and negativity um, which is understandable. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of it. But I find that the positive side is really alluring. You know, I'm trying to help doctors realize there's hope. You know, we got this, you know, and, and if you do screw up, Nate, like, is it the end of your life? No. I mean, if, 
if I can see a doctor who admitted to me that he was snorting cocaine in the middle of a surgery, okay, and the he got his privileges revoked, he got fired, the medical board is involved, and then eight years later, he is in another state and he is working and he is happy and he made it and he's got the love of his family and support of his friends. If you can get through that, you can get through anything, you know? And so I just think a lot of doctors think this is it for me. I got fired. I can't find a job. I got one little blip. I got this DWI, whatever the situation is, my career is hosed. They sink into depression. It's like, no, doctors are leaving in droves. We need you to stay with us. You know, there is a future. That's my Absolutely. <laughs> and No, you're good. No, that's awesome. The the helpers are what are needed. And and I thank you for saying the, the kind things that you did about Grand Vision Capital and uh, Physicians Financial Summit. I would say, I would echo that back to you about what you're doing. We had a, we had events, I guess, you know, events in time that, that made us create Grand Vision Capital. We had events in time that then made us create the Physicians Financial Summit. Was there an event in the past as you were practicing with Hill Health Law that it was kind of that light bulb of like guard my practice is needed. This is something that physicians need. What, what was, what happened that, that created that? What was the Genesis? I, well, I was sitting in this exact chair and I was looking out my window. It was in the middle of COVID and my doctors were breaking down. They were just, they were calling me, you know, like I said, almost in tears, just overwhelmed. You know, we went from being healthcare heroes to like, degraded members of society, right? Why aren't you calling me back? Why aren't you, you know, sending me a message? I'm going to trash you on Google. I'm going to send you Yelp reviews. And I thought, and they're calling me just in the lowest place. And I thought, how sad that they have to pay me as their lawyer, right? Is, am I, you know, is this really the only avenue that they have? They have to call me and pay me this much money per hour for me to listen to them, for me to give them basic advice, for them, me to tell them it's going to be okay. There's got to be a better way. And that is the trigger that I started thinking, now is the time for me to shift my business model and to start teaching and training and giving optimism to these doctors. So, and then, and then it's crazier that I thought, well, I'm not just going to do some Canva video on my computer with my phone. You know, I think it makes sense to hire a professional film crew. Like that was kind of dumb, but you know, whatever. And I think I should turn a room in my house and do a film studio. Like, yes, let's do that. I mean, overkill. Hello. But you know, it was still an, a fun adventure, but that was the impetus for it. As I thought, I feel terrible that people are hiring me as their lawyer to solve these very basic problems and really just to be their cheerleader. So yeah, I just think it, uh, it was a necessity and something changed in my heart. You know, I felt like as I, you know, as I morbidly referenced earlier, if I died, all of this knowledge that I've given all these clients just goes in the dirt. Like what a waste. How do we share it with doctors outside the walls of Texas? How do I scream it to the rooftops? All this knowledge that I have learned the hard way, you know, through years of toiling with these doctors issues, there's gotta be a way I can share it. And so that's kind of the way it came up with this. And I've never looked back and the feedback I've gotten has been, we need you, you know, even though I'm still figuring out how and the packaging and the course, they're like, don't give up, you know? So that's been really helpful for me to hear, right? It's like, okay, okay, this is helpful for you. I'm going to keep marching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, we are two peas in a pod, I think. It's all about aligning your head and your heart. I mean, the, the, right. the head says, hey, help them as much as you can. The heart says, I don't know how to do it, but I need to do more. That was kind of the birth of our summit. And, and why we're doing it is like, hey, we were sitting down with physicians all the time, having personal finance conversations with them over and over again. 
And then over and over again, we're just learning, man, these physicians, their financial literacy is just so much lower than we expected for them being so highly educated and very intelligent people. Right. But like how, do, how do we get that message out there so that more and more people hear it versus us having, you know, 300 individual conversations. How do we get 300 physicians in a room and say, Hey, here's what you need. Here's the, mm -hmm. you know, go take action then like, here's here, there's some awareness. Here's the understanding. Now go take action. And I think you're doing that same thing with guard my practice. I think that's very cool. Sometimes there's some tough love, you know, it's like, guys, if, if you run a company, then you need to be able to read a PL statement. Okay. If you run a business, you are going to have some employment law concerns. Okay. Just like what in what world did you think that you were immune from these normal business problems? So instead of bemoaning the fact they're happening, just accept that it's part of your life now because you're a business owner. And I think just demystifying that, you know, is really helpful to say, you guys just need to know this is part of the game and try to get the help you need to get through it. But yeah, it's not abnormal that your office manager is toxic and you want to get rid of them or the fact that, you know, now all of a sudden you have no idea why this tax is happening, you know, and you can't always outsource it. If you outsource your billing and coding and then your billing and coding company is committing fraud, that comes back on you. So there mm -hmm. is a requirement to have some basic knowledge you know, of billing to where you're not just, you know, letting someone else sort of run your life. It's just like having a financial planner that's a horrible, evil person and sucks all your money out and embezzles. I mean, don't you want to have some clue of like, why is my account going down every day? You know, I have no transparency over that. Like you should. And so sometimes it is a little bit like you should know this. Okay. I'm sorry. I know you don't want to, but you own a business. You took on the risk. You should probably know the basics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if your, your paths have ever crossed with Dr. Keith Matheny up no. in Dallas and he's in Dallas, ENT doctor up in Dallas, but he is what I would call a medical entrepreneur. I mean, he is just super smart. He has this big ENT practice in Dallas, but then he also helps thousands of ENT doctors around the country with supplies and negotiating pricing and, and things like that. But he said the same thing. He's like, you'd be amazed how many practice, like people will ask me, Hey, can you come look at my practice and give some guidance on what's going well, what's going wrong. And he's like, it's amazing how much I'll, I'll go in and look at these practices and these physicians who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year are putting a ton into faith into a practice manager that they pay $50,000 a year to help with billing, to help with coding, to help with scheduling. It's like, they literally just put their whole financial you know, business future in the hands of a few individuals who sometimes maybe just have a high school degree or a two-year degree. Right, right. And it's like, you guys got to have some understanding. He always pushes like, you need to get some more financial understanding. You need to get some more legal understanding of what it means to run a business on top of how to care for patients. Like it, there has to be more. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it dumbfounds me as well that you put so much stock into someone else. And, you know, it's one thing to have, you know, to, to trust your lawyer, to give you great advice, to trust your financial guidance, to give you guidance, but, but there's still that underlying knowledge. It's your life and it's your NPI number. And I tell doctors guard it like it's gold. This is, this is the reason that you have a career you know, is because you have this number, you know, by your name and you have to protect it, which means you have to have some basic knowledge. You have to have some transparency and some oversight. You know, audits are your best friend, your best friend. I always say to audit all the time, audit your billing company, audit your charts, you know, audit your financial package. I mean, everything can go through an audit to have someone else be like, yeah, that looks great. We checked on that. It looks good. Your security is good. And your, your computer systems, your backup is running. Audits you pay for, 
And all they do is care about coming back and reporting it to you. It's not the government oversight telling you what you're doing wrong. It's someone you pay for to help you out. Put that in your budget, you know? So yeah, that's it's really important for you to have that baseline knowledge. And what peace of mind? I mean, doctors out of many professions that I know, they need peace of mind more than a, more than most. And so like, right. what peace of mind does an audit give you to say, hey, your your billing program is, is on par. You're good. Uh, yes. It's worth a thousand bucks, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And so a lot of times doctors are like penny wise and pound foolish. Like they're like, oh, that cost me a thousand dollars. I'm like, yes. And the fine is going to jail and it's 5 million bucks. So you choose, you know? And so I just think that if they can put it in perspective, like, oh my gosh, this is the best insurance I can give myself. You know, we have to really talk about it that way. Absolutely. And there's just such a difference between long-term value versus short-term cost. Right? Yep. There's there's going to be the short-term cost of $1,000 to do this audit, but the long-term value is that any gap or area of opportunity that's found in that audit and you correct it will save you several thousands, you know, tenfold above the cost that it did to do that audit. And then I think that's whenever somebody says, hey, that that's a little bit too expensive for me. It's like, well, are you just looking at the cost today or are you looking at the long-term value that comes with actually doing this? Well, you know, isn't that the case with everyone? Like nobody wants to That's be everyone. proactive and exercise. They'd rather just go on the diet pill. You know, it's like, it's human nature. So I get it. We're always fighting against that. Like, you know, be proactive. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll get insurance tomorrow. And then they have a stroke. It's like, well, you know, so we can only do what we can do. But I will say that doctors like to work with people that they trust and that they like, and they think are helping them. And, you know, at the end of, you know, it's funny when you start a company and you're like, am I charging too much? You know, what's the right price point? At a certain point, you have to just be like, yeah, what we're doing is worth it. I I'm not going to apologize for it. You know, whenever I sometimes have a client that's like, wow, your billable rate is high. I'm like, I know, and I've earned it, and I'm proud of it. You just have to stand up for your value. Doctors have to do the same, right, when they're doing cash pay model, whatever. Yes, this is how much it costs. Yes, this is what I charge. I've earned it, and I'm proud of it, and I'm going to give the best value I can, and you're it's going to be worth your time. 100%. Hill Health Law, guard my practice. What what's next for both? Well, even for Amanda Hill, what what's next in 2024? What are big what's things next? coming? Well, I'm hiring another lawyer in the firm because I'm getting busy there, busier and busier. I really my goal is to transition someday to speaking and teaching doctors. So I want guard my practice to grow and scale, and who knows where the future will go. My goal is to get some of this training in the hands of residency programs across the country. I don't want doctors coming out of residency not knowing how to negotiate a contract. It is my personal mission to try to help get these residents the baseline knowledge that they need to be successful. So we'll see. Not small goal, just just all the residents in America. <laughs> but, you know, hey, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dream big. Uh, That's right. Give, give me the 30 second plug of, of where people can find you. G give me the websites, sure. the, the, the LinkedIn, all that. Well, guardmypractice.com is where you can find my courses. I've put my heart into them. They all qualify for CME through the AAFP, which is always an added bonus. And you can also sign up for a 90-day notice course, which is if you're in any kind of job transition or you think you're going to be. I highly, it is a very VIP course. It's three months. We meet every week live with me and a physician surgeon coach. There is nothing else out there like that that you can have that will train you in a job transition. So I'm, I'm really pushing that this year. Just because we've gone through it twice, this is our third round, and it just keeps growing, and the, the feedback we're getting is really great. So I hope you sign up there. 
And, you know, find me on LinkedIn. Just find me, give me thoughts. You know, I, if there's a topic you ever want me to talk about, I'm open to hearing it. I just want to develop a community to where we can really help each other. I love that. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. You are the first non-physician that has been on the Doctors I'm so excited. Podcast. Yay. You, you, you deserve that distinction. Absolutely. <laughs> so it was a pleasure talking to you. I'm excited for when our paths cross in the future. Me too. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it.